Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Money Wise Radio Show with your protectors, the Money Guys, brought to you by USA Wealth Group. Ray and Peter, good Sunday morning. How are you? Good Sunday morning, Phil. Good Sunday morning, Peter. Good morning. And I'd like to announce that we at USA Wealth Group will not be selling the Rolling Stone magazine at our offices either. Just wanted to put that out there. No, we won't go into that in any detail, but hopefully not many people will be selling that. No, I know it. What a story. But uh, I think good decision on Peter's part not to sell it at USA Wealth Group. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we don't sell magazines anyway, Peter. Peter, why don't we start out and do something a little unusual today? Why don't you just tell people where we are located and what we do? Absolutely. We are located on Fonts Corner Road, uh, right near the new State Police Barracks and the Vanity Fair Outlet, 352 Fonts Corner Road. And our number, if you'd like to reach us, you can uh, ask for myself, Peter, or my father, Ray. Be happy to speak to you uh, either over the phone or in person, and it's always free to talk to us. The number is 508-998-8858, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Good. Thank you very much. And as a reminder, our mission is to help teach people things that relate to finances and money, and the goal in our office is to help protect your family and help protect your assets. And um, Phil, I think we should probably start out with something original today. Original? A quotation or two. (laughs) I was going to remove my vest here, Peter, but I guess I better not yet. So here's one of my favorite Ben Franklin quotes. He that falls in love with himself will have no rivals. (laughs) Rivals. I'm not talking about you, Phil. It's just a general quotation. (laughs) Ah, truth hurts. But I do have an important uh, Greek quotation from... One of the people that we quote a lot on this show, a famous Greek philosopher. Let's see, you're batting about 80% so far. And here we go. Most people would rather give than get affection. Most people would rather give than get affection. Oh, that, uh, so maybe it's an Aristotle, yeah, Aristotle, I would say. Aristotle. Yeah, but actually, I gave, you, I gave you the wrong quote because I actually quoted that once before. So I had to give you one other one. And this was one, that Aristotle. It was indeed. So here's one. Uh, oh, this is one. double jeopardy. This is like going to court twice for the same case. You're right, <laughs> but, but this is an important one because this actually relates to the special guest that we have on our okay. radio show this morning. All right, the unexamined life is not worth living. Oh, I know that one. That was a very famous quote. And again, Socrates. Socrates, the wise man. Socrates, the man. One of my heroes. You really know your philosophers, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's tell folks what we're going to talk about today. We have uh, somebody very special with us. We have Sheila May, M-A-Y, C-P-A. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is a specialist in something called forensic accounting and litigation support. And if that sounds intimidating, (laughs) it can be, but let me tell you why it's important. Let's say that you're involved in a divorce action and you think your house is playing, your wife, your spouse, or your wife is playing games with the numbers. Or if you're a woman, it's your husband who's playing games with the numbers and hiding assets, taking money, hiding it, not being forthcoming about what's really on the table. Um, The services of somebody like a forensic accountant can be very, very important 
to make sure that the numbers are correct on the table. And Sheila does a lot of work in the area of uh, not only uh, divorce-related financial services, but also investment fraud-related services. And she does work for not only individuals, but for law firms and for uh, financial institutions. So, Sheila, I'm going to start and say welcome and good morning, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And let me ask you, where are you located, Sheila? I'm in Situate, Massachusetts, on 91 Front Street. Okay, and, and what, what part of the um, landscape do you cover? Do you cover most of Massachusetts or New England? or? I where? am all over Massachusetts. I've been as far north as Andover, and I've actually done some work in New Hampshire, and then I've, been, I've done one case in western Massachusetts. Okay. But I'm willing to travel wherever I'm needed. Good. And do you sometimes testify in a court hearing or in a deposition, too? I have not. It's interesting. Um, I would say 90 to nine, 95 to 99 percent of cases settle before they actually reach trial. And so I have not had the experience to appear in court. I'm perfectly willing to and ready to, and I prepare a lot of um, exhibits that are used um, in the pretrial part of a, of, a, of a legal case, but I have not been an expert witness. So it almost sounds like because you do your job very well in finding out what the real facts and figures are, then maybe it forces people to come to terms and to, to settle a case. Well, I'd, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. And, it, and, it, and obviously going to trial is very expensive. So um, I think if you're considering money at all, people are wise enough to, to nope. realize that might be expensive. What, what percentage of your clients, let's say, are lawyers? What percentage are individuals? Well, th and that's a terrific question because I, I mostly work through attorneys to answer the question directly. But the reason that I work through an attorney is that um, the privilege status is, uh, is, some, is bestowed upon me as an employee of the attorney. And in cases where it's a, important that any examination that I'm doing is an attorney work product as, and therefore not discoverable, I'm, I, I advise that I work through the attorney and not directly for the client. So what that means is what you are working on can be considered confidential work product of the law firm. Correct. And therefore, it's, you don't have to testify about that, for example. Correct. That's Correct. very interesting. I hadn't thought about that before, Phil. Yes, very interesting. What did she, what is your title again? A forensic? What? I'm a forensic accountant. Um, it, that's what I do. Um, it's the best, just the best term that can describe what I do. It's called digging up the dirt. <laughs> I know exactly what I was thinking, Ray. <laughs> Great minds, Phil. <laughs> well, uh, what is your uh, educational background, and how did you get into forensic accounting? Uh, I have a master's in taxation, although it was 15 years uh, after my master's that I went and uh, got my CPA. I just, I didn't really, the traditional roles of, of tax work didn't appeal to me. And I did a lot of work for financial institutions and ultimately for two attorneys. And I liked the area where tax, uh, tax work blurred into legal work. And then I was working in, um, and for a sole practitioner lawyer, and he had a suite in an office filled with suites of different attorneys, and each attorney would ask questions about tax law as it pertained to their practice. So 
there was a real estate attorney, an investment fraud attorney, um, an immigration attorney. He he really wouldn't have many questions for me, but I, I that that's uh, all of a sudden this light bulb went off that I could perhaps work, um, do just that type of work for different attorneys, and the the broadest demand for my um, skill set is in the family law, investment fraud, and employee fraud areas. Okay, we want to talk about each one of those things. Employee fraud is very interesting. We've had some very significant cases in this area over the years when there's been a trusted bookkeeper who has stolen thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I think there was a case in Freetown where it was well over a million dollars that was stolen in a construction firm. Yeah, I mean, you hear about employee fraud all the time on the news and uh, even some organizations that you wouldn't expect to find somebody in that organization who's running the books uh, to basically pull the wool over uh, people's eyes. You know, you do hear about that once in a while, and it's a shame, but um, that's something else that you do. So it's basically you will find money from anybody that uh, is doing business with somebody else, whether, and, and marriage is a business, it's a contract. Uh, so whether it's your spouse, whether it's a business partner, whether it's an employee, uh, even if it's, uh, I would imagine, a nonprofit, somebody who's running the books at a nonprofit, for example. That's um, happened also. Yeah. Sure. Let me ask this question. Um, what if somebody is listening today, we're going to talk about divorce separately, we're going to talk about um, financial fraud, but we're also going to talk about employee fraud. What if somebody today was involved in a business and they're concerned or they just don't know about whether money might be missing. Is it sometimes, does it sometimes happen that a person like that might contact you and just sit down for a consultation and say, what should I be looking for? Mm -hmm. And then you can describe what you do. Mm -hmm. Do you do that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I do consult with people um, gratis um, to get a sense if there's even something that I can do for them um, um, and just get a sense of what it is that that may be done um, but I will I will say that of the the work that I do employee fraud is one that I'm particularly passionate about because I as a sole practitioner I don't have other people that I work with but I meet a lot of people that are um, really have put their heart into their businesses and have a small staff and one of the key employees is unfortunately um, taking advantage of their situation and um, and so I feel a connection with uh, someone in that situation and with a little education you can make yourself less likely to be susceptible to fraud. You know Ray and uh, Sheila as a small businessman mm -hmm. I see a lot of my friends telling me this this is a huge problem mm -hmm. with small businesses. Do you find this is the number one complaint of a lot of small businesses? Yeah I mean I think I think the time-consuming nature of running your own business, just that you're, you're really, even when you're on vacation, anybody will know that if you're, it's your business, you're never fully off. It's 24-7. And, and then, yes, just sort of um, trust issues. Um, and uh, um, I, I think... Uh, ultimately, it's terrific. A lot of people do place trust in in in, in folks, and and the truth is, 
that it, for 10 years someone can be very trustworthy and then unfortunately maybe their life will take a turn and they will be in a position where they need money, they're handling the books of a company and a light bulb goes off in their head and it'll get them out of what they think is a short-term problem and then it really be, may become um, a kind of a large, uh, a longer-term uh, kind of uh, pilfering of money. So and this topic of employee fraud is actually a good lead in from what we were discussing just last week when we were talking about uh, tips for small business owners. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we said is that small business owners, you know, whether you're self-employed, um, they work a lot harder, as you said, even when they're on vacation, they're working. They work very hard at their businesses. It's it's part of them. Um, and when you know we're talking about employee fraud, uh, you know, people that are listening, that's not you know, taking five, ten dollars from petty cash or from uh, some office supplies, that's taking thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, and it's becoming more and more common, so. And by the way, it happens with coaches in little league organizations, it happens in churches, it happens in Boy Scouts, it happens in Girl Scouts. I remember when my wife worked for the Girl Scouts, one of the big problems they had was Girl Scout cookies, and some of the troop leaders simply wouldn't turn the money in, and they would have to go to small claims court. So theft is abundant, unfortunately. If there's an opportunity, some people will take advantage of that opportunity. Um, we're talking with Sheila May, who is a forensic accountant. She's a CPA, certified public accountant. She also has a master's degree in taxation, which is near and dear to my heart, because <laughs> I also have a master's degree in taxation. So let's see if we can quote sections of the Internal Revenue Code to each other. <laughs> and Phil, that's, interesting. That, that's our cue to, uh, <laughs> to go take a walk outside for a minute. <laughs> Sheila, how does somebody reach you? How do they get your, what's your telephone number? What's your website, for example? Yes, I'm, I'm as I've mentioned, because I, I am a small business owner, you can reach me anytime. If I can answer the phone, I do at 781-218-7511. And then um, my website is called thetruthisinthenumbers.com. And, um, and on the website. I like that name. I love it. That is so clever. <laughs> Thank you. And then on the, on the website is my email, and you're welcome to email me as well. And, and by the way, I spent a fair amount of time looking at thetruthisinthenumbers.com. There's an enormous amount of information on that website. And it doesn't look like it at first. The website, I understand, is being redesigned. Yes. Um, when you initially look at it, it doesn't look like there's a, a lot of information. And as soon as you, I forgot what I had to click on, but all of a sudden it's like, whoa, <laughs> there it all is. And there's just a ton of information on there. So you spend time blogging then too, right? I do. I do. I I'm, I like to write. Um, I think it's the one of the best ways to actually learn material. And then my hopes are that that people will be perhaps as we all do these days, research an issue online and find whatever I've written informative. And if they need my help, they'll contact me. Now, what if you're on a church finance committee, mm -hmm. or what if you have a small business? What are some of the things that someone could do to try to prevent? money from being taken or prevent employee theft? Yeah, I kind of like to think of it as there's two things you can do before and then one thing after which you do part of 
part before. So I'll explain that a little bit further. There's prevention um, of fraud, which is sort of dividing the responsibilities of a company. Maybe somebody will generate the checks and someone else signs them. I mean, anytime you have another person looking over you, you, you decrease the likelihood that someone's going to do something that they'd be embarrassed about someone else seeing them do. Could you also like um, have a checking account with a, a limitation at your bank that the trusted individual can only write a check up to $500 and anything over that might require two signatures, for example? Yeah, yeah, that's a terrific idea. Um, I mean, similar to maybe uh, people may be familiar with if you spend a certain amount on your credit card and you get a phone call from your credit card company saying, this is an unusual purchase for you. Um, that's, a, that's a similar um, red flag for you know, unusual when I get, activity. When I get a call like that, mm-hmm. instead of being annoyed and irritated, I'd thank them. I say, thank you for calling and you know checking into it. Yeah, yeah, because something you can do before it happens is so much easier to deal with than after it happens and trying to retract all the damage. What about insurance? Can you get like employee dishonesty insurance, for example? That's right. That's right. That's one of the things that'll help you afterwards, but you should obviously do before. And that and part of um, a part of a business insurance is employee dishonesty insurance. And then there's also something called work interruption uh, insurance, and it, that depends on the scope of the fraud. But in some instances, obviously, if it's a key person. The cost of the fraud isn't just actually the money that was taken. It's the fact that you'll not have to replace this person and go through back what they did. And and there may be some lag time where your business is interrupted. So that can be used in that instance. This is the first time in all of my years I've ever heard of dishonesty insurance. Mm -hmm. The first time I've ever heard it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Well, I've been involved in a condo association recently where they had uh, one particular management company that for 30 years uh, managed a whole series of condominiums in a resort location. And one bookkeeper stole about a million six from all the condo associations. And the one that I was involved in, the loss was $68,000, the insurance was $50,000. And I'm helping them to try to recover that. So we did collect the $50,000 of insurance, We've since increased it to $100,000, and uh, we've signed on to a suit against a bank. You might know about this also, Sheila. Um, there happens to be a bank. I will not mention their name, but they're a regional and a national bank, and they were allowing this woman to open accounts without proper corporate authorization, and then she just kept systematically draining money out of the account. That bank is probably going to settle, but they're going to be settling for probably something over a half a million dollars. Um, and they have no choice. They didn't know their customer, which is an important banking rule. Mm-hmm. Do, do you sometimes see cases where there have been large sums that have been taken? I, I definitely have seen cases where large sums have been taken. I mean, a and of course, those are the ones that that make the news that we're all familiar with. And I, as I do, want to pick up on the point that you mentioned that unfortunately, uh, nonprofits are pers- particularly vulnerable to sure. this uh, to this as well. I mean, again, the reason I think that that that's why is that there's just a large aura of trust. I mean, who would? It's Girl Scout cookies, you know, the cute 
kids selling cookies to people. They all everyone loves the cookies. Who would think that that would happen? And so in those situations, um, there can be quite a bit of damage that's done. Yeah, so. I mean, unfortunately, it's it's a different world than it was you know 20, 30 years ago. Even uh, there's a lot of you hear about it all the time. There's a lot of uh, charitable organizations that aren't even real. And in some cases, it's just a, a woman who, uh, you know, is claiming that her child is sick with cancer or something. And obviously, this is a different story. But it, you just can't trust anybody nowadays. Everybody's uh, uh, trying to uh, trying to defraud or, or you know, collect money in one way or another dishonestly. Yeah. One of the things on your website, uh, Sheila said that uh, the National Association of Professional Liability Insurance Companies have estimated that 6% of businesses' total annual revenue mm -hmm. is lost to employee theft. Yeah, yeah. 6% a year, that's yeah. a lot. It's a lot, and, it, and I think the dynamic of the relationship is, 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 the, is the reason that that happens. I mean, like, uh, also I think that another, I think in an article that I have on, on either my website or my blog, um, the, actually, the most likely candidate for someone who's defrauding a business is someone who's been with the company a long time, 10 years or longer. Another sort of surprising fact, um, because you would think that, that there may be more trust there. Um, so you can imagine if you're an employee owner, somebody you've known more than 10 or plus years is taking money or is doing something the chances of you wanting to confront them and stop this. I mean, you sort, a lot of people are uncomfortable with it and they'll just turn, kind of just think it's of the cost of business or they'll lessen the hours of the person or um, it's very difficult. And it often I would say that that's sometimes when someone like me maybe is called in and I have to act very discreetly. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't use people's email. I don't call them at their um, office. They don't want any of their employees suspicious that actually their books are being investigated. Oh, so you're like a number tough. ninja. A number ninja. Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's very very hard. I like hard. that name. <laughs> <laughs> a number ninja. I need a. I need a. I need my own show on Saturday morning. <laughs> I guess that's better than a money maven. <laughs> yes, I like that better. So that's let's cool. do a quick summary on employee fraud. Obviously, prevention is the most important mm -hmm. thing. If you work for an organization, if you own a business, if you're involved in a nonprofit, and you have any concern at all, somebody could contact you at what telephone number? 781-218-7511. And you could discreetly consult with them and then take a look at it. But mm -hmm. prevention is obviously the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Have yeah. insurance, have controls. Yeah, mm -hmm. as we always say, you gotta have a plan, you gotta uh, prevent and plan ahead of time and it will be uh, much more cost effective for you in the long run. Uh, but if somebody does want to meet with you, what what is the main bulk of your business? Is it employee fraud or is it more uh, divorce cases? Uh, what, what's the bulk of the, the majority of the people that I you get with? The, the, the divorce work are smaller cases and I do more of them. The more time intensive ones are maybe investment related and employee fraud. But obviously those, the divorce, I may be just um, in on the, um, on, on the property settlement issues. So I do more of them, but they're shorter term. And I would imagine that most people that call you or come to see you, I mean, 
you don't just become dishonest uh, or or, or uh, un, untrusting of someone just for the heck of it. Usually there's something that sort of clicks in the back of your brain that says something's going on here. And, and if they're taking that step to actually pick up the phone to call you or come in, uh, I would imagine that, you know, chances are most of the time there's something going on. Yeah. I mean, you nobody knows your business like you. So and no one's paying attention to it as as much as you are. So if you can start to start to think, oh, that's interesting. I thought I sold a thousand doors and uh, I thought I installed them. And gee, usually I do a little bit better than that when I'm that busy. You know, you start to kind of uh, uh, put together the picture and realize that something's not adding up quite and, right. And that's got to be an awful feeling for the business owner. Uh, but, you know, if you do suspe- suspect something, give her a, give her a call. And, uh, again, she's very discreet, so it would be great to have this feeling that you think that you're uh, getting swindled um, and find out that you're not. Well, we're talking with Sheila May, who is a CPA and has a master's in tax and is a forensic accountant. Uh, looking at the numbers. So when we come back, we're going to talk about divorce and a couple of other matters. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This morning, we're privileged to have with us Sheila May, CPA. It has sort of a rhyme to it, doesn't it, Sheila? It, it does. And thank you again for being here. Sheila is a forensic accountant. Peter, you're shaking your head. Did I say something wrong? No, not at all. I'm just going to call her the number ninja from now on, though. Okay. Well, Sheila is an expert on numbers and taxes. Tell me, do you enjoy taxes? Do you like taxes? I do. I do. I don't. I don't do tax returns like you. I. I didn't. Actually, use, I don't. Yeah. That, I mean, I've said like you. I don't do them, meaning okay. that you and I both haven't used our our I, I, our um, our degrees that way. But um, I only do them tangential to a case. So in cases of um, divorce, if there's an innocent sp- spouse issue or a joint tax liability issue, then. I'll help out with that. I like the puzzle side of taxes. I, I like the complexity of it. And uh, like you, I also have a master's degree in taxation. I enjoy the planning side of it, the creativity side of it. Unfortunately, our tax code is well over a 1,000 pages, and it's huge. And we have to have people who have specialized knowledge in taxes. So um, do you enjoy doing puzzles? I I do. I guess I, what I like, what I found is sort of the human element of it. Um, I just, uh, although, I mean, I have done tax returns and every, it's there's a story behind every one, but of course I just like the interaction with the people and stuff like that, so. Okay, one more question. I won't mm-hmm. try to stump you anymore, but <laughs> how about puzzles or word games or Scrabble? Do you do any of those things? I do, I do. I'm, See, uh, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> I feel like I'm always outwitted by whoever I'm doing them with, but I do do them. <laughs> Well, I enjoy things that have some complexity to it, like Scrabble I enjoy very much, and it's fun to try to outwit the machine or whoever you're playing with sometimes. But the same thing is true. You have to have a certain unusual mind to fill to enjoy taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I understand. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice way of putting what you have there, an unusual mind. (laughs) 
<laughs> Peter, why don't you just say very quickly um, who we are and what we're doing. Once again, we are USA Wealth Group, and we'll be happy to speak with you free of charge at any time, uh, either over the phone or in person. And my name is Pete, and my father's name is Ray, and our number is 508-998-8858. We're located in North Dartmouth, right off of 195 near the Vanity Fair outlets. And our goal is to help you protect your family and to help you protect your assets. That's what we're all about, and that's the purpose of this show, is to give you some we hope useful information that might turn on a light bulb in your mind about how you might protect yourself or protect your family. And as Sheila said, we enjoy the human aspect of it, the, you know, the, the helping of people and, and understanding each person's individual story and their individual needs, and, and that's what we enjoy doing is helping people. Sheila, let me ask you a question that really fascinates me. Um, investment fraud, financial services, what mm-hmm. does that involve? And, and explain that a little bit if you can. Well, as, as you may, or, I mean, I, 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 from what I uh, heard of uh, listening to some of your wife talk a little bit about her work, she's a little bit more numbers oriented than a lot of attorneys, but a lot of attorneys really don't like working with the numbers part of their case. So in the case of an investment fraud, uh, maybe it's a class action case, um, they really want the amount of uh, damages quantified or to identify which of the transactions were fraudulent. But um, listen, they're too busy uh, filing paperwork and dealing with the other attorneys and their clients, so they'd look for a number um, and I'll go through all the account statements and transactions or even assess the uh, investments or in instruments and see uh, some of the more detailed information that's, that exists there to help them. Do you ever, do you ever see any cases involving uh, fraud against a bank, like bank fraud, if somebody's inflating numbers on a mortgage application or anything of that nature? Have you been involved in that area? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, the most important thing we want to talk about this morning is divorce. Mm-hmm. Because um, I know from my past experience in helping some people and, and from a lot of the things that you read that divorce is an area where people try to hide assets, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's male or female and so forth. So mm-hmm. um, this must be an interesting area to work in because it's much more human than you know, just straight theft, for example. Yeah. Although, kind of a theft, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So t- tell us a little bit about um, divorce cases. Um, who, which side of the case are you typically representing? Does it tend to be more the women's side because it's the man who's trying to hide the assets? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, I, That's you know, I, I shy away from generalizations, but uh, you know that is that it has been. I would say the majority is is that uh, it's it's the wife that's looking that's certain that there's more income that her husband is getting than he's disclosing or if you had a a man who was the governor of south carolina who decided (laughs) that he tells the public that he's on a camping trip in the adirondacks and in Uh fact he's off in brazil or rio de janeiro or someplace with his south american girlfriend right um Right. Oh, yeah. That's a way to hide money, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so let's let's talk about um, do you find that some of the cases that you're working on trying to discover 
assets being transferred involve more a situation where there's a man who's in business for himself, a business owner? Yeah, I mean, the, the cases that I have worked on mostly are, um, are uh, sole proprietors or small business owners. And what, I'm, uh, what has happened is a lot, they're hiding personal expenses in their business expense expenses. So um, they, they may report their income um, after expenses are paid, but the truth is their car, their phone, their meals, their travel is all included in the quote expenses of the business. Their so girlfriend. The girlfriend, yeah. I mean, it's not a stretch to to say that that happens. And um, so at the end of the day, they'll say something like, oh, I only have $20,000 in which to base the alimony and child support payments on. And meanwhile, they're living very high. Um, so it's it's sort of my job to parse out which of the business expenses are legitimate and which aren't. Have you ever thought of writing short stories or novels about some of the things that you've seen? <laughs> no, no. Why is that a suggestion? Would that, that would be, be a great idea. Just change the names, you know, to protect the innocent. and You know where all the bodies are. You're forensic. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it could a, be a mystery. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that women in this country actually control about 74% of all the financial assets and make most of the financial decisions. So oh. I would think that they're likely to be on the receiving end or not in a divorce case. And so therefore it's of special interest to them to know what the real numbers are to make sure they're getting treated fairly. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's really all about, isn't it? It's about fairness. Right. Right. Making sure that somebody's not hiding the assets. So let's talk about some of the ways that maybe, um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little sexist in doing this. What are some of the ways that men might try to hide the money? Mm -hmm. Could it be with retirement accounts, for example? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, I a couple things come to mind. I mean, one is, um, and to... to to try, I do try to understand um, why the other party may not have disclosed information, and I think um, the court forms and uh, court requirements can be confusing. Um, but things like inheritances um, should be divulged, and um, especially if it was uh, there, they were a reason that a couple lived a certain lifestyle. They they counted on getting money at a certain stage. Then it's arguable that that um, that affected the way that they spent their money, and therefore should be something that's uh, uh, considered in part of the property settlement. And so they'll say, oh, it's a trust, and it's you know my parents, and it's not really part of it. Um, that's a big uh, way to hide assets. And then uh, the biggest one is overinflating expenses of a business, for sure. Um, and you said most of these cases end up in some kind of a settlement because mm -hmm. people realize that mm -hmm. you've got the goods on them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So yep. I, I know that in a divorce case, uh, people have to complete financial statements, and mm -hmm. they d have to disclose what they have, what they earn for income, what their expenses are. Right. Are those signed under penalties of perjury? Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's to me, it's very surprising uh, the weight which they carry and, uh, and sort of um, – uh, it seems almost um, to 
uh, that people don't take them seriously enough. But absolutely, I mean, uh, and and make no mistake about it, I've seen attorneys withdraw from representing people if they have learned from the result of my work um, that uh, their clients didn't divulge um, certain uh, assets. I mean, their reputation is on the line so that if I find a trust that exists that was set up um, and that isn't listed and um, they're they're not happy about it, their signatures are on those forms. So, What what if somebody is in a marriage right now and Mm -hmm. they're concerned that their spouse might be hiding assets? I know Mm -hmm. you've got some materials on your website about Mm -hmm. Some things to look for, some tips that might give away the fact that somebody is actually concealing assets. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Um, um, There can be, you can, a lot of, I think a lot of... um, Diverting of assets can take place. Um, they may choose to pay a friend for um, for a, a, a salary, um, and then that money is kind of held over for post-divorce. There may be an uptick in inventory, which will then be returned. I mean, I've actually seen that, and it's something that's uh, very easy to spot if you go over the business records of a company. If there's a certain month, and it it's it's amazing how um, evident it is. It's the month before the divorce, you know, um, pre-trial of the divorce, and then all of a sudden they're doing a study, maybe four thousand dollars of purchasing of inventory, and then all of a sudden there's twenty-five thousand. I mean, clearly there's some arrangement they have with the vendor that they're going to be reimbursed for the amount. Um, Amazingly enough, people always find this very surprising, but people use the IRS and tax returns incredibly, um, in an incredibly deceitful manner. They'll open up a P.O. box, fill out a return, have a large in- refund coming, and then have the refund diverted to them when really it was part of um, the income of both of them. And sign the spouse's name probably, too. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's illegal, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Don't tell Celeste. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't going to go there. We won't talk about spouses today. But you know something I was just thinking, Phil? And, and Sheila, we're talking with Sheila May, who's a CPA and a forensic accountant, which means she gets to dig up the dirt and know where the money is really hidden. Um, now that we have same-sex marriage legalized mm-hmm. in Massachusetts and mm-hmm. in many other states, roughly a third of the country, I think, mm-hmm. This is also going to apply to same-sex marriages, isn't it? Yep. So it's not going to be just the man versus the woman or the woman versus the man. It's going to be this, somebody in a couple is going to feel like they've been handled improperly. Yeah. No, and because Massachusetts was one of the first states to allow same-sex marriages, there's some terrific attorneys that are experienced um, in, in those issues, and I work with a couple of those. And I know there's some ways you can get – uh, a copy of somebody's tax return if they're mm-hmm. not revealing it. There's forms you can file with the IRS. Mm-hmm. Is that part of what you do sometimes also? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I, I Again, that's a resource that I have on my blog, but I also have uh, walked people through that. I've also acted as representatives for them in talking to the IRS, but you can order, you can actually go to an IRS office, they're listed online, and then also you can uh, fill out a form and mail it in and get copies of tax transcripts or tax records. You know, there's so many things that we need to talk about when we consider divorce. It's not only about 
making sure that one spouse or the other is being treated fairly in terms of alimony, child support, and so forth. And I know the child support rules are very strict. Mm -hmm. uh, the courts don't allow anybody to monkey around with the child support rules. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen people lectured in court in the past by judges. Uh, when it comes to children, you know, you don't fool around with that at all. Exactly, yep. Mm -hmm. But um, there's so many other things that a spouse who's being divorced needs to realize, and especially from a woman's point of view, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the right to collect Social Security mm -hmm. if you're divorced. Mm -hmm. And the rules are fairly complicated. We mm -hmm. do that in seminars, and we talk about that a lot. And we help people with planning. But if you've had a marriage generally for 10 years or more mm -hmm. and you're divorced, later you're fully entitled to all the rules that a spouse would in terms of being able to collect from, let's say, a husband. Mm -hmm. Let's assume in most cases the husband might have a larger Social Security amount um, if their couple was divorced and the marriage was at least 10 years duration later at certain ages, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of that at this minute, the, the wife has the ability to collect off the husband's record, the spousal amount, the surviving spouse's amount if the, if the, if the ex-husband dies, and even if he had several spouses, mm -hmm. he could have several 10-year marriages, mm -hmm. each of those spouses would have a right to collect. Mm -hmm. They can't remarry. That's one of the restrictions. If you get remarried, then you've hopefully found somebody who's making more money mm -hmm. um, for a larger account. But um, do you get involved sometimes in talking to people about what they can do after a divorce to help get themselves set up independently? I, I do. I, you know, quite frankly, I think that's where, uh, you know, the, what you all do and I do overlap. I mean, I I definitely refer people out at, if they're really thinking about long-term finances post-divorce into to a financial planner. I mean, I in fact, I suggested if they're considering a property settlement and they're wondering if they can live on the amount of money that's being offered to them. I, I, um, while I know some of the concepts that go into that, I, I certainly am not familiar enough with financial instruments mm -hmm. to, to let them know whether these things could be invested in a way that would bring them income for their lifetime. So, Yep, we do a lot of that. In fact, we've seen people in the past that we've done some financial planning for, mm -hmm. and then later they'll get divorced and be dividing assets, and we'll help them retitle and restructure things. Mm -hmm. But... I still find that what you do is very interesting, uh, oh, Sheila, in you. terms of looking you know, behind the, the facts and looking at the numbers. Uh, give us your telephone number and your website once again. So I'm reachable at 781-218-7511, and my website is thetruthisinthenumbers.com. And I like that name. I think it's a great name. Thank you. So let's, let's again talk about uh, the fact that People just really need to be very alert to what's going on, don't they? Yeah, I mean it's common sense. Yeah, it's and it and the th the thread in talking out loud to you all is really just any situation you're in. Um, I don't. It's probably it's it's not wise to just let someone else have the complete knowledge of your finances and. Um, and that's whether yeah, there may be a case where um, things don't work out or just, you know, if some kind of uh, unfortunate event happens, you don't want to not have any idea of, of the situation that you're in. So, 
Well, you know, our focus is today talking about uh, Sheila May and being a forensic accountant and trying to figure out where the money has been taken improperly, whether somebody is hiding assets improperly to your detriment. Those are very important things. And it's not just a conference uh, or a show today about divorce, but there's a lot of things that people need to do to protect themselves, like make sure they establish their own credit Mm -hmm. or set up a credit card perhaps ahead of time in just their own name Mm -hmm. so that they're not going to get stuck on a joint account that might be canceled, uh, things of that nature. Right. That's that's very similar in in one respect to what we tell people when they're about to retire. Oh. Um, we tell people if you're thinking about retiring, and you're thinking about refinancing your house, mm-hmm. refinance your house before you retire because mm-hmm. now you're not going to have the income to show the bank afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And same thing with a credit line. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll tell people, you know what, you're probably not going to look the same to a bank after you retire as you do right now while you're still working. Mm -hmm. So maybe go and put a credit line, a home equity line on your house Mm -hmm. so it's there available for you. But some of these concepts are very similar to what people should be thinking about when they're going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, what are some of the funny things that you might have seen about creative ways, let's say, that people are hiding assets? There must be some good (laughs) stories out there. Uh, It is un. Believable. I mean, it really is. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, like, uh, I, I, uh, when I spoke about the tax returns and the diversion to the PO boxes, that's one that had. That's a theme that's played uh, out many times. Um, uh, so um, there was, uh, there's a case that I've worked on where. A woman prepared the taxes uh, from 2000 to the current year, so 13 years, and she would do federal and state and fill it out, write a check, and give it to her husband who works in a post office and say, Uh honey, will you sign and mail this? Um, And then recently, um, she started getting notices at her work about non-payment of taxes. And um, it turns out that he never was mailing any of these tax returns in. So oh my. He probably didn't have a stamp. Right. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine I'm exactly just the, I, you know, you can only speculate the reasons why. But Label that one first class. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's first a good class short jerk. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Do you ever see uh, like uh, girlfriends on the payroll who suddenly get bonuses or increases in uh, salaries? Oh yeah, that's a that's a terrific one. There was a, mm, a client that I was working for, and her spouse had a business, and uh, in the expenses were um, and this is how detailed sometimes it's it's actually not even an example of very detailed work. It, it's probably more n- normal than than people might think, but uh, I'll go through credit card statements and bank statements, and lo and behold, the recruiting uh, dinners were at a restaurant, and uh, when I was meeting with uh, the attorney's client, guess who worked at the restaurant that he was frequenting for these recruiting? His new girlfriend. I'm shocked. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, it's, oh, interesting. Three times a week you're at this place and um, that's an expense of your business. And so, yeah, I mean, You know, I was thinking, Sheila, with all the ridiculous reality television shows we Mm -hmm. have on today, we ought to have one one called 
honey, let's hide the money. (laughs) Something of that nature. (laughs) Right, right. Well, the one piece of word of encouragement that I I like to relay to people is they are convinced that their spouse has come up with the way that no one is going to find out what they've done, that they're the most clever person and that um, the wool will be pulled over our eyes and we'll never find it. And the thing I like to tell people is there's really nothing – at this point that I haven't seen, that the attorneys haven't seen, that the judges haven't seen. So that the IRS hasn't that seen. That the IRS, I can't yeah. even imagine. So that they I get should... that a lot, Phil. Oh, yes, I get that I a lot. Imagine. People say, well, can't I just do this? Well, what if I just did it that way? No, these are the rules. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Anything to get out of, uh, to get out of paying taxes. But so. people do try. Mm-hmm. Well, this morning we've been privileged to have with us uh, Sheila May, who's a forensic accountant, CPA, Master of Laws in Taxation, and a professional, what was your phrase, Peter? Ninja? (laughs) Number ninja. Number ninja. (laughs) And if you have any curiosity or concern that maybe somebody in your organization has been stealing money or taking money or that your procedures aren't quite up to snuff, or if you're going through a divorce or thinking about a divorce and you're concerned about your spouse hiding assets, get some professional advice. Sheila, how can we reach you? What's your telephone number? My phone number, once again, is 781-218-7511. And you really do need to take a look at the website because I like the name especially. Thank the you. The truth is in There. It can't be hidden. And it always is, isn't it, Phil? You can't <laughs> always. You can't disguise the numbers. You can't hide the numbers. Um, you've been listening to us this morning on Sunday morning, a uh, uh, show brought to you by USA Wealth Group. Peter Lance and Ray Lance. Peter, would you give our number and our website, please? One more time. The number is 508-998-8858. We're always there to help, and we're happy to do so. Website's usawealthgroup.com. We want to help you protect your family and protect your money. And thank you so much, Sheila, for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Thank you, Phil, as always, for helping. Always a pleasure, Ray. Thank you so very, very much. And we'll see you again on the radio next Sunday morning.